0: All right, welcome to once again, Employment Law Show. Indeed, John Scholes here, your host as always. And with me, uh, Stan Burke partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively Googled, reviewed law employment law firm in the land. Check it out. You can reach out any time you would like, one That is the way you do that. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And for all other needs, even before you pick up the phone and call Stan, Another website for you, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Tons of information there. We are going to get through. We're going to chop our way through the uh, the inbox this morning, Stan. I know you got a ton of emails coming up. And you and Lior and the rest of the partners and everybody else at the firm has been going absolutely crazy over the last couple of weeks. I know literally. This is not hyperbole. Tons of phone calls, hundreds of phone calls about vaccine mandates in the workplace and all that stuff. So sure. if that's something on your mind as well, feel free to uh, to chime in and call us. We'd love to have you on. If you have questions about it. I'm sure you do. Everybody does. Everybody does. It's a really confusing time. Anything around your employment surrounding the vaccine. So that is available for you to, uh, to do exactly that. In the meantime, going to get to some emails, but we always start with the week that was. Brother, what do you got going on?
1: Well, yeah, in the week that was, uh, I want to touch on exactly what you started off uh, the top of the show with, which is the mandatory vaccine policies that are kind of being in, put in place by what seems like pretty much every employer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I want to just kind of discuss how, how these policies will work from an employment standpoint and really just understand what, what employers can and cannot do and kind of let our clients know that. Um, really so firstly i mean the real question is can an employer just institute a mandatory policy with the the discipline being if you don't get the uh, vaccine that you will be terminated yeah. that is probably the number one question that we are being asked daily i mean and you you hit it right at the top of the show john i mean our inbox is filled with these questions if you could believe it you know we're we're about a thousand uh thousand calls behind in our intake Dude, calling wow. because of predominantly because of these policies that really i mean like this happened in september you know this isn't something that was it was ever instituted as far as i'm aware in employment law before september and now it seems like every company is enforcing this type of policy in some variation and there's been a few variations that i've seen some of which i think are far more appropriate the other than others uh, the one you know, the one that I probably take issue with the most is, is the just blanket, you know, get the vaccine or you're terminated for cause. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond just the, I feel like the unnecessary step, drawing an arbitrary line in the sand that a lot of employers are doing because sometimes you know, that policy makes sense in some context. You know, you could say in a long-term care home, okay, maybe that's policy that might might hold up but that I'm talking to people who are working from home who've been working for the last year and a half, and their employer is saying, well, unless you get this vaccine, you're going to be terminated for cause. Again, you know, everything in employment law is contextual. Everything is factually based, not based on just some abject what's going on in the world scenario. No, it's based on the actual facts of the person that you are terminating. So the immediate question in that scenario is going to be, well, if this person works from home, why are you forcing them to get the vaccine? What harm are you reducing or trying to avoid? Uh, you certainly can't say that you while well, you're trying to ensure there's a safe workplace, because the workplace, the person doesn't go to the workplace. They work from home. And that is probably, I think, the biggest mistake employers are making right now, is by having such a severe you know, policy with such severe consequences, mm-hmm. that really... Going to force a court and to make a decision, and I don't think the court's going to make the decision that they would like. Uh, I think that when it comes down to something, you know, from our perspective, the employer is introducing this brand new term into the employment contract. In almost every other scenario, we would call that a constructive dismissal. You know, this is a fundamental term; literally, you cannot work unless you abide by it. And that's a new, completely unilateral and new term that's being introduced. Now obviously context here matters there is a global pandemic we can't just uh, <laughs> we can't just avoid that context sure but there has to be alternatives it can't just be in my view a, a one you know a, a line in the sand that says do this or you're fired for cause and and that's kind of the other scenarios and variations that I've seen where some employers recognize that there have to be alternatives you know and the main alternative really is that that seems to make the most sense is accommodation through testing. You know, you give the employer they play, the opportunity to decide between the two. And then if they choose neither, if they don't even choose the accommodation that you're offering. Yeah. Then at that point, well, at least the employer can say, look, we, we've given them the alternative. We're trying to keep, you know, we're trying to balance our obligations to all employees with our obligations to this employee. You know, we're, doing the best we can in a very confusing and ever you know, rapidly evolving situation. Yeah. You know, there, I think the court will give the employer a lot more leeway. And, and probably in my view, I think if you don't pick one of those two alternatives, the employer may very likely be justified in letting you go for cause. You know, maybe giving you a couple of warnings, get telling you, okay, listen, you have to do it. And you know, we're going to suspend you first, come back, do it. But at some point, you know, they'll, Probably, if you don't uh, if you don't adhere to these policies, they're going to let you go for cause, and you're going to have a very hard time explaining why that isn't cause. Because just like you know, in the scenario where the employer is drawing a red line with the mandatory vaccination policy, uh, you know, you're going to have to explain to the court well, why why can't you do rapid testing? You know, there certainly aren't any medical or religious exemptions that I'm aware of, and I've talked to quite a lot of people on on these points. I know that there are certainly people sincerely held beliefs that there are religious exemptions in their view um, their people also have sincerely held beliefs that there are medical exemptions in their view unfortunately our, our medical association doesn't agree they've only released that there's two exemptions and mm-hmm. both of which involve you getting the vaccine the first time and having a negative reaction to it right right so i mean i i think the bigger kind of view here and where i, I really am trying to guide clients, both on the employer and the employee side, is to take a breath, is to, to take a step back. You know, do we really want to have this polarization, you know, this this hardening of positions right now? Is that really what's best for the employment relationship? Is that really what's best for workplaces? Is that really what's best for our trauma? You know, I, I really that's why I'm the first time speaking to it, you, you know, a lot of people are very scared. They don't want to lose their jobs but they have the, you know, they have their beliefs. And rightly or wrongly, whether we agree with it or not, they are going to follow through. I know, I, I've spoken to, un, I can't even count the amount of people who have told me that they are prepared to lose their job over uh, this mandatory vaccination policy. Mm-hmm. And in the face of that, if you know, can we really, and this is a real scenario, can we really afford to lose 10 to 20% of our province's workforce because of this red line that has you know, largely arbitrarily been drawn in the last month. A month ago, there was no need for a mandatory vaccination policy. In September, there is. What's changed? Yes, we have the fourth wave. Yes, we have variations of COVID. All of that matters. There's no question. But the employment relationship is still between two parties. And every and it still has to be considered you know and the the effects of that contract and the effects of these policies have to be considered between the two parties. so I, I really would just tell people at the end of the day to just find a compromise. if you're not you know don't take a one size-fits all approach on the employer side don't say mandatory policies or nothing else and on the employee side if you're not if you don't want to do uh, the vaccination, Find a compromise. Figure out a way that you can keep your job and work with your employer and understand their concerns and their liability as well.
0: So- yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, I mean, so I, I, I'm not saying I have any proof of this, but it's I, I think a lot of people who at first were saying, no, I'm not taking the vaccine, blah, blah, blah. I mean, now it's, 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 it's become a political thing with them. It's like, you know, they've dug their heels in and even if they soften their position, they're still, you know, now they're definitely saying, I'm not taking it, regardless of whether I'm even that against it like I was in the first round. Now, now it's really, as you said, it's become a battle of, of who's going to win this thing. And then, secondly, on the employee's side, I mean, not wanting to take the vaccine and saying, I don't care about your mandate. I'm not taking the vaccine. We have all, well, not all of us, but I would say a great deal of the worldwide workforce has proven that they can work from home. Would that be a quick um, accommodation that someone could pull to their employer saying, look, I told you I'm not taking the vaccine if you mandate it, but how about this behind door number two, I have worked from you for you from home for a year and a half. So you need to accommodate me in that regard.
1: Absolutely. Again, that's why I said, you know this is all contextual what is the uh, harm that is the employer trying to address that has mm-hmm. to be the question the fundamental question behind this policy because you can't just institute it, arbitrary policies when you know, in the abstract well if nobody works in the workplace then there is no harm that you're addressing with this mandatory vaccination policy
2: yeah Yeah. It's going, be,
0: uh, it's going to be an inter- interesting uh, web to weave for sure, but uh, we'll continue on with it. We'll take a short break. You can reach out to Stan anytime. By the way, 1-855-821-5900 is the uh, address to get a hold of Stan and his team at the firm. Anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca through email. That is exactly where we're going after the break. Into to a ton of emails here. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. And welcome back to it. John Scholes, Stan Feinselberg Partner, Sanfiru Tamarkin, LLP. Uh, you can contact the most positively reviewed employment law firm in Canada anytime. Employmentlawyer.ca. Get that compensation you deserve, the advice you need, especially now. Gosh. With all that's uh, that's going on, feel free to reach out to Stan anytime, uh, 1-855-821-5900. As mentioned, emails, we're going to uh, plow through a bunch of these uh, for the remainder of the show uh, between your calls as well. Tanya is up next. Says, hey, Stan, my employer terminated uh, overtime pay, made us, the employees, sign something before OT pay stopped. My question is, is that legal?
1: Yeah, uh, John, well, that's... That's a very strange scenario because absolutely that is not legal. You cannot sign away your right to overtime, just like you cannot, sign, you know, again, take a job for less than minimum wage. The Employment Standards Act is an act that defines the minimum entitlements an employee is entitled to, mm-hmm. right? So, and it specifically says you cannot contract out of the act. It does not matter if the two parties come to an agreement. If that, if that agreement violates the act, it is illegal and it cannot be enforced. So Tanya, whatever you signed, whatever your employer said to you about overtime is absolutely incorrect. You know, you can speak to the ministry. They will advise you the same, and they will also tell you about the process that you can use through the Ministry of Labor to to actually enforce your rights and ensure that you do get the overtime that you work.
0: What are the, what are the general uh, hours and guidelines, uh, in general, Ontario anyway, for, for when overtime begins and when you can claim?
1: Uh, so, I mean, it's somewhat specific in terms of the position. Uh, mm-hmm. The general the general rule is that if you work more than 44 hours a week, then every hour above that is overtime, has to be paid a time and a half. Also, I mean, something that's less well-known to people is that you cannot be forced to work overtime. If your employer asks you, you have an absolute right to decline. Uh, and in Ontario, there's actually, actually a maximum amount of hours that you can be forced to work. Hmm. That, that is 48 hours. Now, the parties can actually come to an agreement as long as they sign a document and it says, yes, I consent to working more than 48 hours a week. Then absolutely, the parties are allowed to go beyond that. But generally speaking, your employer cannot force you without your written consent to work more than 48 hours and cannot force you to work overtime, period.
0: And that also applies for salaried employees too, right? Most people, well, not most, but a lot of people aren't aware of that, are they?
1: Yeah, a lot of people definitely don't recognize that salaried employees uh, are also tied as overtime. I mean, a salaried employee is an hourly employee with just a defined <laughs> hourly rate that's prorated over a year. You can figure out what a salaried employee's hourly rate is. Just take their salary, divide it by 52 weeks, divide it by 40 hours. You have their hourly rate right there. So absolutely, John, whether, you, whether you're whether you getting paid by by the hour, whether you're getting paid by salary, whether you're getting paid by commission. Mm-hmm. I mean, in any instance, you should be getting overtime. Commission's a much harder one to qual, uh, to calculate, for sure. Right. But if the, the rules are crystal clear. If you work more than 44 hours a week, you earn until two time and a half for those hours above 44
0: now, in in Tanya's case, with the overtime, I mean her her uh, her employer decided to take it upon themselves and cancel all overtime, like the the employment Grinch. But if if you if you are forced, say uh, you or I are working overtime just to get the job done, we we didn't get permission to do the overtime. But it's like, man, I, I can't I can't do this until I, I do the overtime. I've got to get the job done, and you work the overtime without permission. It was a last minute thing, and you submit for it to get paid for. It. Does your employer? can they say, no, 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 I didn't tell you to work overtime, I'm not paying you for it? Or do they have to regardless of permission or otherwise?
1: They, in that scenario, they still have to pay you overtime. It's not about whether you have their authority to do it. Again, this is a minimum standard, and it's right. already authorized by the statute. It's about whether you work those hours and whether it was reasonable for you to work those hours. You know, If the workload dictates that you need to work 46 48 50 hours a week because they're just piling work on top of you mm-hmm. and because you know that should be obvious to the employer as well and employers are not you know n- are not blind to this I mean kenya's employers particularly you know what they did was pretty dumb but most employers are a bit more sophisticated and they know how to get around these overtime rules yeah. by just not asking not even bringing it up they know that most people if you just pile work on top of their uh, plate, they will do that work and they will never ask for overtime because they either don't think they're entitled to it or, you know, they just have a sense of loyalty to their employer, which unfortunately is usually not reciprocated with overtime pay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, employers get away with it all the time and they the reality is that they can't. If, they, if you work those hours, regardless of whether it's authorized by your employer, you are entitled to overtime.
0: Lisa's got kind of a, a bit of a similar question out with overtime, though. She says, uh, does one and a half times pay for working on a statutory holiday only apply to hourly wages or other forms of pay as well, such as salaried employees? So now we've gone from overtime to stat holidays. How does that or does that does that change at all?
1: Uh, no, not ne- Not really. You know, you're huh. still the time uh, off and, and time and a half for stat holidays. And that, again, as we just said, it applies to whether you're an hourly employee or a salaried employee. It doesn't
2: all matter.
0: Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is how you uh, want to reach out and get a hold of uh, stand here on the show. Any other time, it is uh, 1-855-821-5900, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Catherine's up next, says, hey, Stan, I am currently on LTD, and I've been with my employer for 20-plus years. I'm 62, and if I remain on LTD until 65, would I still be entitled to a full severance after LTD cuts me off?
1: Well, Catherine, I mean, realistically, severance is only for people who are terminated, if at the end of your LTD claim, let's say you hit that 65 mark and, you know, assuming your employer hasn't ar- has already taken the position well, that your, med- your employment contract is medically frustrated, which after three years, you know, that's a very reasonable position pr- for the employer to take, uh, you still wouldn't be entitled to severance pay then because, again, you haven't been let go. This is a, a medical issue like yours where you cannot work it is what we call... Essentially, by that point, frustration of contract, you know, yeah. because through neither party's fault, essentially, the part the contract cannot continue. Now, our, our government actually foresaw this scenario and did actually, uh, in the employment standards regulations, create provisions to safeguard employees in this situation. And it, so, if you are subject to medically frustrated contract of employment, the ESA still says that you are entitled to your termination and severance pay in terms right. of statute, not the common law, not the, you know, what we talk about here every day. We're talking only about the minimum. And realistically, that's all you would be entitled to because, again, you haven't been let go. You've been subject to what's called a frustration of contract.
0: Yeah, it's interesting too. I mean, you know, she's, uh, she says she's 62, and I assume if she's read her, her LTD policy, a lot of them do, uh, they do expire at age 65. But if the, the off chance that she's, uh, taken off her LTD prior to the age of 65 when the, when the policy expires, I mean, that, that may be something they do. Just as a side note, that uh, Stan, that the firm, uh, you guys also have a disability uh, end of it as well, equally as robust as the employment side. So if if she's got that type of problem, she can reach out to you guys when it comes to the LTD because there is always crossover between, well, not always, but there's quite often crossover between LTD and employment, like she's talking about there. So just a an FYI for you, if you're listening, you can reach out to uh, Stan. He'll hook you up with one of his uh, colleagues on the other side of the desk, on the uh, disability law side, for sure. Uh, I'll try to get to Robert here. Yeah, we got enough time for Robert before we break. Uh, another email. Robert says, "Guys, I was terminated after twelve years of service. Uh, it was a technical role, and I'm in my forties. I was offered twenty-five weeks severance. Is that fair?"
1: I mean, it certainly sounds low to me, Robert, from what you describe in terms of the factors we generally consider. You know, for somebody in their mid-40s and in a technical role, especially in the current economic environment, uh, you know, the general rule of thumb would be about a year per, uh, a month per year. Obviously, that can go up, that can go down, depending on any number of factors, depending on if you have certain restrictions that might make it harder for you to find a job. Right. Uh, but that's what I would tell Robert, just from a general perspective, what I think would be fair. And certainly 25 weeks is not that. That's two weeks per year. So, Robert, I mean, you should absolutely give us a call and have a chat with one of our lawyers and see what, uh, what your options are.
0: Again, uh, Robert, if you didn't, you sound like you know already uh, based on your your email, but uh, 1-855-821-5900, that's the number that's, uh, that Stan's talking about. You can also, before even you make that phone call, uh, Robert here, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, among other things about employment law you can learn and use. Right there is the Severance Pay Calculator, which was its own website. And it's been rolled into pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. A few simple steps, anonymous. Takes about thirty seconds, and you will find a nice ballpark range of where you should be, as far as your severance is concerned. And yeah, stands right on the money. It ain't going to be. It's not going to be twenty-five weeks for sure. But again, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is where you want to go. Appreciate you reaching out, Robert. Next email from uh, from Bob. My employer gave me a month of working notice. Uh, I have an interview in Halliburton, and she denied my request for time off for an interview. Is that allowed? That's not pretty nice. Uh,
1: I would i would actually tell Bob that, that I don't think that would be allowed. I, I think that basically it defeats the purpose of the working notice that you're being given. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the working notice is to give you an opportunity. You know, The whole purpose of notice, the whole purpose of employment law generally is to help you transition to that next job once it's to give you some time new- some space some financial security you know t- to help with that transition and that's basically what working notice is supposed to do as well it's to give you you know notice that your job is ending and that you need to go and try to find a new one so when you have an opportunity to go find a new one your employer certainly cannot stop you from going to an interview because it would again defeat the purpose of the working notice they're giving you and I would suggest that they were, they frankly, acting in bad faith. And it would allow Bob in this scenario to say, well, listen, I'm not going to be coming in for the rest of this working notice because I don't think you're acting in good faith. I don't think you're, you're meeting your obligations to me during this notice period. And I'm going to go in my interview and I'm going to try and move on with my life. I think Bob would be very well-situated to say that to his employer without any negative consequences.
2: Maybe
0: it would be worth Bob as well before uh, before he takes that. Take the initial step of contacting you and see if, what do you say, a month of working notice is actually enough? That may be too short, right? There's a there's a good chance that they've uh, they've defaulted on that particular uh, step, haven't they? The employer I'm talking about.
1: And there's no question about that for sure. But what uh-huh. else, sometimes what happens is that if you fail to continue during the working notice period, then your employer will argue that you resigned and that you're not entitled to the rest of your severance. And in Bob's scenario, well, I would say that based on the employer's actions, based on the fact that they're not acting in good faith, they're not meeting their obligations to Bob during this working notice period, he can walk away and say, well, I don't have to continue with this and still sue for his severance.
0: So there you go. You want to reach out to Bob for a further conversation. Don't uh, just sit back with that one month, assuming that's correct, uh, before you make that leap to uh you know, uh, complaining about not being go for an interview, make sure you got enough working notice. There might be more coming down your way. We'll get to uh, one more email, I think, before we break. That's going to be James. Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Jim says, Stan, I've been off uh, for a week with a cold. Told my employer yesterday that I feel good enough to return next week, and they told me that I would have to get a COVID test showing I was negative or they could not let me come back to work. Do I have to go for that COVID test? I
1: you know, it's a tough question, especially because it doesn't seem like there's, especially if you, you know, James can say, well, I have a medical note that shows that, you know, I'm fine, or I've quarantined for the, the appropriate period of time since I've had the cold. So th- there's no possibility of me being in, uh, infectious at this point. That being said, I mean, right now in the context that we started this top of the show with, which is the mandatory vaccination policy, I mean, everything here is contextual. And in light of where employment loss seems to be going, uh, I would say he, you know, James would probably be best off taking that test and showing it to his employer. And keep now keep in mind, and this is another question that's asked very often of us, uh, John. Well, my employer is forcing me to pay for that test, can mm-hmm. they do that? And, and uh, generally speaking, I would say the answer is no. I mean, your employer is it's very clear and it's dealt with a lot in the case law where if your employer is forcing you to do some sort of schooling or testing regime, they have to pay you when you go for that because technically you're working. And, or if they're providing, or if you need specialized equipment, again, the employer has to provide that for you. Yeah. Same scenario here. They can't force you to pay for these tests. On top of which the governments are offering employers right now, free rapid tests that any employer can go and sign up for that program and get those rapid tests. And so to then make, in light of all of that, to put the burden and cost on the employee, I would say is completely unreasonable and, frankly, unnecessary.
0: Let's take a short break. We'll go back to more of your emails, uh, why you don't want to go to the Ministry of Labor for all your advice. The next email will uh, illustrate that nicely, but in the meantime, reaching out to Stan when the show's not on, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 855 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. You bet. It's the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. Yeah, in between all the uh, emails we're taking, you have questions as well about the mandatory vaccination going back to work. Man, is it confusing. Feel free to uh, to join the show and chime in. Would, would love to hear from you. Get back to more email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. This courtesy and your answers from Stan Fenselberg, partner Firu to Marken LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. How about that? Uh, let's get down to Alexis. You love this one, Stan. Alexis says, guys, the Ontario government website says, I have to wait five years before I'm eligible for severance. Is that true?
1: Yeah, well, as you said just before the break, John, I mean, the Ministry of Labor is uh, is not the best venue for a lot of issues, and this is definitely one of them. Um, what they're talking about, Alexis, it is in terms of severance pay under the Employment Standards Act. And what what all our listeners have to really like right, Recognize and know is that the Ministry of Labor will only advise you of your rights under the statute. They cannot tell you what you are entitled to from the in terms of the common law. In terms of you know, when we talk about entitlements, that month per year kind of uh, rule, rule or rule some. Um, that's based on the common law. That's not based on the statute. And so when the Ministry tells you things like, well, you don't get severance pay until after five years, that's technically true in in the context only of the statute in terms of your common law entitlement, Alexis you are entitled to severance or pay notice or payment in lieu of notice all of which are basically you know interchangeable terms to some degree you are entitled to that as soon as you essentially start working there you know if you've only worked there for a day a couple of days it, assuming you don't have a contract that limits you you are already entitled to severance. You may not be entitled to a great deal of severance, but you are still entitled to something.
0: So there you go. The uh, the moral of the story is reach out to you guys instead of reaching out to the Ministry of Labor. Just uh, just do it that way. I mean, that's just how you do it, right? Uh, 1-855-821-5900 is the, uh, the way. Terry, uh, you were up next. Terry says, if I reveal my vaccination status, would that affect a termination in the future? For uh, for example, the termination become, uh, become for cause rather than without cause because of that refusal.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't think, that, you know, in terms of the vaccination status, like, again, this is where I, I see a couple of variations of this particular question, some of which I think are a little bit better than others. The one that I don't like is where it simply asks you to reveal your status, where, you know, it says, okay, give me, you know, tell me if you're vaccinated or if you're not vaccinated. That, that's really kind of treading a little too close to a human rights issue because essentially mm. you're asking for someone to reveal a diagnosis. You know, you're asking them to tell you if they've got a certain d- disease, potentially. Yeah. Uh, the variation that I much prefer, and I think that this one is much more, you know, reasonable for employers to ask, and frankly that, again, corresponds to an obligation for the employee to answer, is if they ask that question but give you the option of declining to answer the question. You know, obviously, a lot of people that I talk to will rightly point out, well, that's roughly the same thing as me saying I'm unvaccinated, you know, because presume, you know, they all think to some degree, presumably true, that the only people who would refuse to answer that question are those who tend to be unvaccinated. Right, Right. And that might be the case. But again, I mean, that's at least giving you the option of not disclosing something. You know, you're not saying one thing or the other. You're presuming that people are making assumptions, and that's fair, but you're not disclosing your diagnosis. And so, with that variation to that particular question, I actually think that employees should answer that question. If it's to say, "I choose not to provide my status," right? Because otherwise, you know, there could be elements of insubordination. You know, you're not following the lawful directions of your company, and that would potentially give them you know, a building block on the way to cause. In and of itself, it probably is not cause. But in terms of progressive discipline, in terms of, you know, the overall uh, work history and whatever disciplinary actions that you've that have been taking against that particular employee, yeah. that's another building block in the foundation if the company is trying to establish cause. Um, now, and, But certainly you cannot be fired just for revealing your vaccination status. There's no question about that. You know, just if you tell them you're unvaccinated, they cannot fire you for a cause. Just as I said that, you know, if they force you to get, if they have a mandatory vaccination policy that says either get the vaccine or you're fired for cause, I don't believe that's cause either.
0: Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Megan's got a good question for you. It's like general uh, employment law knowledge here. And it's good she's asking it because I'm sure a lot of people are wondering this, that. Megan says, I worked for a company for three years before I went on maternity leave for a year. I returned in January 2020 until being laid off due to COVID in March. I'm wondering if the time I was off for maternity and now due to COVID counts towards my service with the company.
1: Uh, and the answer is an unequivocal, yes, it does. Yes. Yeah. No question. You, know, you are an employee of the company. Even if you're not working there, you're still an employee. You know, if you're laid off, if you're on maternity leave, if you're on disability leave, you are still bound by the employment relationship and the employment contract to your employer. And even if, you, again, those years continue to compound, even if you're not physically present.
0: And I guess that that's an important point. If it came to the uh, you know sometime in the future, not for the maternity leave, of course, that would be a human rights issue. But I mean, if it came in, you know in another year or two years or whatever, that she was let go for something, that would count towards her seven. So it's it's important that people know that that even when you're off a mat leave and otherwise COVID uh, off for COVID, your 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 time seniority, for lack of a better term, still accumulates, and that could uh, that could bear fruit if it comes down to severance, right?
1: One hundred percent, John. And, and beyond that, the other very you know question that I get very similar to this one often is, well, what if I'm a part time employee or what if I was on contract before? Do those, those periods count as well? And the answer is, again, unequivocally, yes, they do. You're still an employee. It doesn't matter what the nature or the particular terms of your relationship are. You're employed and therefore you're accumulating your years of service with your employer for that for the purposes of severance
0: you have any other questions about uh, stuff we discuss on the show, you can either reach out to one 821 5900 to Stan and his team. You can also email. That's what we're reading off today. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And, of course, the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. We'll continue. More to come. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. All right, welcome back to it. Uh, Stan Feinselberg partner, Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. Reach out, one 855 5900 Get answers, ask questions, get the compensation you deserve. First step is making that phone call and uh, or writing the email, help at employmentlawyer.ca, which is what we're getting through today, the old inbox. And we're going to go down to Liz now, says Stan, my partner's insurance company. Uh, denied her stress leave application despite a written note from the doctor declaring she was unfit to work. Her company now wants her to return, but she's very stressed out and her doctor is against it. What can she do?
1: Well, the, the first thing she has to realize is that ultimately the insurance company doesn't get to dictate whether you're sick or not or sick enough to work. They get to adjudicate that matter and based on the policy, and you know, oftentimes it's in the best interest of the insurance company. To reject your claim even if it's a valid claim just from a purely cost benefit analysis the reality is that that's just unfortunately how insurance companies do business and oftentimes they expect people to sue them and to settle for some lesser amount. and and that's what i would advise liz to do here i mean just because your application has been rejected does not mean that you are not medically disabled That, you know, your doctor is ultimately the person who's best situated to determine that. And if your doctor supports you, then you have a very strong case. So, and again, as John mentioned during the show earlier, we also handle disability claims exactly like this one. So, Liz, if you have been rejected from the LTV insurer by the LTV insurer, you know, contact us and talk to one of our lawyers about your options. In terms of going back to work, you cannot be forced to go back to work if your doctor says you are not ready. Again, it's not the insurer that gets to determine that. It's not the employer that gets to determine that. In almost every situation, it's going to be your doctor. Your doctor is the one with the medical certificate, the license. And they're and they're, in reality, they're putting their license on the line when they're saying you, they don't think you're capable of working. And as a layperson, as a person without any medical ex- knowledge, You are entitled by law to listen to your doctor, the doctor that you trust, the doctor that you choose to see, even if they were wrong in their medical assessment. You wouldn't know that. You are entitled to listen to your doctor, and if your doctor is saying you don't have to go back to work, you do not have to go back to work.
0: Yeah, we often say that you know your medical team, doctor or doctors, or, or otherwise, are the gatekeepers of your health, and they you know they have the uh, they have the trump card when it comes to saying whether you can work or not, or whether you're fit to go back to work. So yeah, you're you're exactly right, Liz should be consulting uh, not only her doctors again, but reaching out to to your firm, Savan and his team on the disability law side to uh, to have a look at the matter for sure. Again, no charges. Have a conversation. It's going to cost you nothing to figure that out, and uh, that number the same one eight five five. Eight two 1, 5, Let's motor down to Jane. Jane says, guys, my husband has been on LTD for almost two years. He has brain cancer. His company will be terminating his extended health care benefits once he has been on LTD for two years. Is this legal? So,
1: you know, it, I would say it actually depends. I know it may seem like it's a clear violation here, uh, John, and it could be, you know. But the only way it couldn't be is if the company actually just had a policy that was in place before, you know, Jane's husband was sick, that applies uniformly to everyone, that says that after two years, we do not continue your benefits. Because that policy in of itself will not be discriminatory if it's not being, if you're not being picked on. You know, if that's a policy that just applies to everyone, right. and it's not discriminatory to you. And so uh, what I would tell Jane is largely that, you know, in most scenarios, they probably cannot. If they just decided, you know, if they just come to your husband a week ago and said, hey, you know, two years is almost up, your benefits are really expensive, we're going to cut you off. You know, they cannot do that. The, the irony here, actually, John, is that they didn't have an obligation to continue those benefits when you went off sick in the first place. You know, those that's a form of compensation. Nobody... <clears throat> would expect a company to continue to pay you your wages while you're off sick. And very similar to that, nobody technically, nobody's required to continue your benefits, which, again, are just another form of compensation like wages, while you're off sick. But if they choose to do that, yeah. and then they cut you off, well, now they have to explain how that is a reasonable measure and how it's not discriminatory, because the automatic presumption is going to be, unless you have that policy that's been sitting around forever, well, you know, it, that's definitely discriminatory. This person has a medical disability, and you've taken an action that's negatively impacted them. So then, the, the essentially, the ball falls into the employer's court to prove that that was a necessary action, that was a reasonable action. And most times, the problem here not going to be able to prove that.
0: Let's get down to Alex. I mean, Alex has got a question right off the top of the show. You uh, you opened with this, and I know everybody's wondering. But uh, Alex chimed in, said, "Can my employer fire me for refusing to take the vaccine?" How many calls a week do you get about that
1: one? Like I said, we've got about a thousand calls in the queue <laughs> with the intake team. So you know, you can imagine probably at least half of those, I would say, are are about this, this vaccine and these policies. And as I said from the top of the show, Alex, I do not believe that an employer can just unilaterally change the relationship, impose this extremely, you know, punitive term that says do this or you're fired for cause. And that would be upheld by the court. Now, now keep in mind, that's the legal reality. And this is what I've been telling almost everyone as well, just to hammer home this point, is that that's the legal reality. The legal reality is that they probably cannot. You will sue them, you will fight them in court, and you will likely settle and get some severance money. The practical reality, John, and that what people really need to be aware of and be prepared for is that you will lose your job. There is nothing that an employer and lawyer can necessarily do to stop an employer from letting you go in this instance. Any remedy that we can get you, you know, will either be in agreement with the employer or will be issued by the court, you know, Sometime in the future, a year, year and a half, two years in the future. And that's not going to help you in the immediate future. So people who are undergoing this, like Alex, they need to be prepared for that scenario. But if you've accepted that, then absolutely you have the right to not be forced to take the vaccine and you cannot lose your job for cause because of it.
0: Last minute of the show, I'll squeeze in uh, Tatha's email. quick one says, my employer refused to give me a raise. Can I quit and use constructive dismissal?
1: Unfortunately, Tatha, uh, you cannot. Nobody in Ontario or in Canada is entitled to a raise unless you, know, unless you have a contract that says it. From a common law perspective, from a statutory perspective, nobody is entitled to a raise. The only thing our statute says that you're entitled to in terms of compensation is minimum wage. Everything beyond that is what you can negotiate for yourself with your employer. If your employer doesn't want to pay you what's fair, you know, the, the remedy isn't a constructive dismissal. The remedy is for you to go and find a better job that pays you what you deserve.
0: Good for another uh, another show. Stan Fanselberg right there. You want to reach out to Stan or a member of his team. No problem. Here's how we're doing it one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. That is the email address we use every show. And finally, a great resource for you even before that phone call, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Catch you next time. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio.